Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. What comes to mind when I say the word ghost? For most people, a ghost is the spirit of a person who has passed. But ghosts are not limited to that one definition. They can be an energy-stealing force, the personification of unresolved trauma, or the representation of our mental state. In this episode... I'll be sharing real stories from real people who have encountered these types of inhuman ghosts. First, I read the story of a witch who was in a budding relationship that was more than toxic. Then, we'll hear of a mysterious entity that's been following someone around for years. And finally, I speak with a man who seems to attract spirits of all kinds. Chapter 1. His Little Devil by Hero My friends call me Hero. I'm from the Philippines, specifically an urbanized region called Angeles City. I am a practicing witch, although my specialty is that of Western witchcraft, tarot, messenger magic, and not of the local kind, albulario, animism, shamanism. I was raised in a traditional Filipino household, and similar to what you said from your podcasts, superstitions and local belief are definitely ingrained in my family. My mother, especially, was a firm believer in geomancy and green magic. She had these charms and crystals littered all over our house, changing each of their positions every year to bring good energies into the house and fend off dark energies. She also had these little friends— as what she calls them, that she brings sweet offerings to in our herb garden because she believes that they are also a contributor to the peace in our household. Needless to say, all this mysticism was passed on to me, her eldest. So back when I was in my last year of college, my friends and I, our little witch clique, as what we had called it since most of us bonded over the supernatural and most of us were practicing witches, planned to get together in our favorite cafe. It had been quite a while since we had seen each other because we were working our asses off with our theses. The day arrived, and I was caught off guard by this terribly handsome man that had tagged along with my best friend, Marie. She introduced him as Van, a fellow student who she asked to tag along on our lunch date, 
hoping that we make friends with him because of our common interests, the supernatural. Knowing Marie, she was definitely pining for him. I mean, who wouldn't? He was average in height, had dark hair, a lean build, and there was something about his gaze that kept me on edge the whole time. It wasn't threatening, it was more alluring. If looks could kill, well, my poor heart would have died a thousand times already because of how he kept on looking at me. He had this aura that was literally inviting. And as expected, when he talked, he was a good speaker, and there was a hint of playful flirtiness in his tone. My poor heart. We had small talk, enjoyed lunch, and got back to graduation preparation soon after. Lo and behold, we were privately messaging days after. He was rather sweet. I entertained him as we talked about anything we could talk about, for nights on end. He was, naturally, full of innuendo and very flirtatious, which amused me greatly since I was already deprived because of the stress of college. Small chats turned into all-nighters, where we would call from midnight until dawn. My sleeping schedule was nearly non-existent because of this. It was fun at first, but soon it became draining. I turned for the worse, sleeping in classes, barely finishing projects on time. My grades had plummeted in my last year of college, but I didn't care. In my head, as long as I could talk to Van every night, I was going to be okay. I relished in his sweet words, his captivating deep voice, and his overwhelming presence were all that I had lived for. Looking back at it today, I never felt like that, even with my current boyfriend of five years. It was addicting. He would laugh at my stories, playfully calling me his little devil. My wake-up call was not far off. It started with my mother, with a stern face, saying, There's something wrong. I've been trying to find out where it's coming from, but... It's you. You reek like one of those things outside the house. As I said before, my mother was a spiritually sensitive person, and I knew exactly what she was talking about. For her, I smelled like an evil spirit. I jokingly dismissed her and said that it was probably a dead rat behind my shelves and she was probably just overreacting. A week had passed, and I got together with Marie and the others. Surprisingly, Van was not there, and neither was Marie. I dismissed it. They were probably too busy. Later that night, before I was going to engage in another night of sleepless banter with Van, Marie called my phone. Hey, Hero. Sorry I couldn't come earlier at lunch. I was feeling a bit sick. I haven't been sleeping lately. Hey, no worries. College can be rough sometimes. We could just meet up sometime and get coffee. My treat. Thanks. I've been staying up like every night on the phone with Van. And honestly, Hero, I think he might be the one. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Uh, who have you been talking to? Van, dummy. You know, the guy I introduced to everyone last month. We've been calling nonstop every day, and I'm really into him. Hero? Are you there? What happened? Marie, when you call Van, 
Do you hang up in between calls? Like, are there intervals? Nope. We usually call from like 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. Nonstop. Why? Marie, I'm on the phone with Van every night from 1 to 6 a.m. What? I rejected all of Van's calls that day and the days after. How was this even possible? Can he call two people at the same time? And was he talking to anybody else? Was this an elaborate joke that was planned by some graduate just to make fun of us? I didn't even know what to believe. My anxiety and depression spiraled downward even more because this routine of mine was cut off all of a sudden. I didn't know who to trust anymore. It was like I was going through withdrawal. Marie and I got together that weekend. She too had decided to reject all of Van's calls. I trusted Marie more than I trust any guy we had met. For years, she was like the sister I never had growing up. I came out to her before I came out gay to my parents. So I knew that when she said that she stopped answering his calls, she meant it. We met up with the Lola of a friend who was an experienced Mantatawas, and immediately she said, even before sitting down, Oh, you've been dealing with one of them, hmm? He's got his fingerprints all over your body. Lola Trinidad sat us down and began her ritual of Pagtatawas. This is a ritual wherein victims, or the Mantatawas themselves, holds a blessed candle over a basin of water. Wax shapes then float towards the surface of the water that the Mantatawas then interprets. I see two people, two spirits. You've been playing with a man who is possessed by something dark. I can feel murderous intent. It is overshadowing him. The demon... It is playful, tempting. It likes that you give it attention. Yes, it feeds off of you. I see him holding hands with the dark entity. The man, he is aware of the dark presence. In fact, he nurtures it. He takes care of it. He takes it as part of himself. There is no saving him from his fate. We asked if we could do something about our situation. Lola Trinidad said that by severing our connection with Van, we had already overcome the spirit by depriving it of our attention. As long as neither of you have slept with him yet, he can't do anything to you. Thankfully, none of us had. Years had passed, and we had forgotten all about Van, until we saw him on the news. He was being arrested for murder. My friends and I couldn't help but wonder, what if that had been us? Have you ever been in a relationship where you felt like you lost yourself? That's what succubi and incubi do. These are entities that steal your energy through sex, usually when you're sleeping. If they do this often enough, the victim will find their health deteriorating sometimes to the point of death. A succubus is thought to be a female demon who attacks men, and an incubus is a male demon who attacks women. 
but this is incredibly heteronormative, as a lot of our paranormal vocabulary can be. They are actually the same entity who possesses the ability to change their form. I'm sure most of you know at least one person who was dating someone that no one could understand why, and no matter how hard everyone tries to convince them to leave, they can't. It's hard to pull yourself out of a spell that you don't even know you're under. And whether or not these people were dealing with something supernatural, like Hero, I think it's important to remember that humans are just as capable of stealing your energy. Chapter 2 Followed by Jackknife Content warning for mention of alcoholism, substance abuse, and suicide attempts. I don't remember the first time I saw it. I also don't remember how often I saw it or when exactly. Like, if it was linked to not being able to sleep or certain things happening during the day. All I know is I saw it many times, always at night, always in the same way in the same place. I was always scared of the upstairs bathroom. I also don't remember which fear came first, of the bathroom or of it. When I was five or so, my family moved into a new house in rural upstate New York. It was new construction, so as far as I know, there's no trauma related to the house itself. Of course, that doesn't discount trauma related to the land itself. All the land in the so-called United States is soaked in blood. It also doesn't discount any trauma that incurred inside the house once we moved in. My parents were, are, alcoholics. I read recently the idea that ghosts aren't just dead people, but the lingering emotional trauma of the living. I can believe that. Anyway, the thing I saw. Like I said, it was always the same. Only at night, I would see it standing in the bathroom, facing away from me, looking into the mirror. It was a tall, masculine presence, human in shape, if not in feel, with long, straight, dark hair obscuring its face. It was always looking into the mirror, but I don't remember being able to see its reflection in the mirror. To this day, I fear mirrors at night. I was terrified of it. What is strange, though, is the precise fear that gripped me. I wasn't afraid it was coming to get me, or that it would go after my sleeping family. I was afraid it would turn and look at me. Slowly, slowly, slowly moving its head until its face met mine, unobscured by that dark hair, that it would look at me. It never did, at least, not that I remember. Eventually, I grew up and left this house, as children are wont to do, and as young adults are wont to do. I forgot this night terror of my past. It didn't seem to follow me. One day, when I was home from college visiting my family, I was in the backyard with my two younger brothers. We were hanging around the swing set and discussing the various scary things we had seen in the woods behind our house. 
stories for another time. Eventually, my middle brother, Z, said, You know, I've always been scared of the upstairs bathroom. My heart dropped. My breath caught. What do you mean? Well, when I was little, I used to see this thing. Even sitting here and writing this story to break the fourth wall, my eyesight goes a little fuzzy and a deep chill runs down my back. I can only imagine it was even scarier then. Z went on to say, Yeah, this thing, it was a guy who stood in front of the bathroom mirror. The thing was always just standing there. It had all this long black hair in front of its face, and it was looking into the mirror, and I couldn't see its face. But what's weird is, I was always scared the thing would turn and look at me. I could not, to put it lightly, believe what I was hearing. My older brother, S, was confused. What the hell are you guys talking about? Are you messing with me? Interestingly, or coincidentally, who knows, is that Z and I share things that we do not share with S. We both have survived suicide attempts. We both have struggled with severe substance abuse issues. We both have these deep mental health issues. S, while his life hasn't been exactly peachy either, hasn't walked those dark paths in the same way. What if there is something specifically haunting Z and me? This used to be where the story ended. I loved to tell it, and like much of my trauma, I told the stories often enough that I had a sort of detachment to them. They were just stories, almost like they happened to someone else. I enjoyed being able to scare people with the truth. I also wanted to see who would believe me. That, too, is like trauma. But then something else happened. It was a lovely day, spring or maybe early summer, in my home at the time in Middle Tennessee. I was hiking near the river in a place I also feel to be specifically haunted, with a friend. Since I brought up the area being haunted, we started exchanging ghost stories. It was fun, a favorite pastime of mine. They had some spooky stories. After the hike, I went to get acupuncture from another friend who was studying to get her license. I suffer from chronic pain, and since she was still studying, she was offering me regular acupuncture at extremely low prices, like $5 a session. I would go to her house, or she would come to mine. That night, I went to her house. I don't know if you've had acupuncture before, but it is not uncommon to fall asleep during the sessions. That rarely happens with me. Because of my PTSD, I have trouble falling asleep, especially when it isn't bedtime. I don't nap because of that. This time, though, my head felt fuzzy, and I drifted off. I woke up when my friend gently roused me and took the needles out. My head was still quite fuzzy, but I managed to make it home. As far as I knew, nothing out of the ordinary had happened. A few days later, this friend came to my house for another acupuncture session. Usually we did the same points every time, but she told me that this time she wanted to try something different. She said she wanted to work on some points, the gate or something like that, directly linked to family trauma. I was enthusiastic about that, I know I still have deep healing to do. 
I told her it was interesting she should mention family trauma. First, because we had never really talked about that before. But second, because the last time I got acupuncture from her, I had told a friend about a ghost me and my brother have seen. A ghost that I believe represents our family trauma. Wait, my friend said. What does this ghost look like? I opened my mouth to respond, but before I could, she said, Is it tall? Masculine? With long, dark hair covering its face? Shock. Shock and fear jolted through me. How could she possibly know that? Is it a common kind of ghost? How do you know that? My siblings saw that the night you were over for acupuncture. It was outside the window of the room you were in. I truly did not know what to do. I was terrified. I thought I had lost its power over me decades ago, but here it had followed me through states and years. Was it just around all the time? My friend could see my terror and tried to reassure me. She said I could try asking it what it wants, what it is trying to tell me. But the thought of seeking out this ghost was absolutely baffling to me. I could not imagine it. I just wanted to run away. We had the session, did the gate points. I never reached out to the ghost, the thing, it, the lingering trauma. I was too scared of inviting it or what it might tell me. I told my brother about this, and he said he thinks the thing is the ghost of a farmer who lived in the area before we did. That makes no sense to me. But maybe I'm just making this story all about me, which is what my mother says I do. There is no satisfying answer here. No end. I still don't know. All I can do is tell my story. Thanks for listening. Ghosts are not only the lingering spiritual remains of those who have lived before us, as most horror movies teach us. Ghosts can also be created from trauma. Every thought we think, every action we make, emits energy off of our bodies. You know how you can feel the tension in the air when you're arguing with someone? Or feel the joy when you're at a party with friends? What you're feeling is a ghost. You may not see it, but it's there. And sometimes that ghost is so potent and so strong that it can take a recognizable form. As in Jackknife's case, a masculine presence with long, dark hair. It's a reminder for us to be conscious of the energy we put out because it can haunt those around us or even ourselves. What kinds of ghosts are you creating? So Jackknife... I don't know if you're still haunted by this presence, but if you are, I truly hope that you will find peace one day. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer. 
and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3. What I Saw in the Darkness. Okay. Uh, my name is Ezekiel Martinez. I'm from San Jose, California. When I was looking for people to share their experiences with me for my show, a friend of mine introduced me to his bandmate, Zeke, because he was familiar with all of his unbelievable stories. You know, I, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of stuff younger, when I was younger. Um, Kind of stuff that I couldn't explain visually. The first unexplainable sighting Zeke had was when he was a toddler. And I'd be sitting in the couch in my parents' living room and I would see shadows. You know, like smoke, I guess you could describe it as. Um, they would just kind of float, almost like clouds, but bigger. And I would see a huge shadow just following me around. But they were mainly coming from the kitchen area, so... During the afternoons, my mother would sit me on the couch in front of the window and I would watch her cook. And whenever she would leave the room, I would see shadows come up from the kitchen area and just come out and towards me. I, I didn't really understand what they were. So I just I kind of thought it was, it was normal at that age. You know, I, I would watch Scooby-Doo in the mornings and I would think, oh, those are ghosts, you know. But I never thought it would be like shadows you know, until I, I started doing a little bit more research on it when I, when I got older. Zeke never felt threatened by the shadows. At that time, they were comforting. But it seems like the more I got older, the more I saw that was not so comforting. So this was probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I used to get up really early to, to go to work. And um, I think I would get up like at four. And I would hit the road by 4.30. This particular morning, I was running a little bit late to work. So the streets were very empty. So I'm at a stoplight and out of my peripheral vision, I see a figure uh, walking down the sidewalk on my left side. And he's, he's walking down the sidewalk. He's kind of staggering a little bit. So I think it's, it's more of a, a drunk leftover from maybe sleeping it off in a parking lot or something. The figure stumbles toward the crosswalk, grabbing onto a pole for support. 
So then, I, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking about, man, what's wrong with this guy? So I, I turn around and I look at him and there is, there is a figure there and he's like still stumbling around. But the figure is see-through. Like I could, I could see the outline in the outline of his clothes and um, he had no head. And that, that really, that really freaked me out. I thought I was dreaming or um, I thought there was something in my coffee, maybe. <laughs> so I stared at him for, for about 30 seconds to make sure that this was all real. I was blinking my eyes, I was rubbing my eyes. And the thing noticed that I was looking at it. And as soon as it noticed that I was looking at it, it shifted over to my direction. Even though, you know, it can't see me because it didn't have a head. And it ran. The figure ran 30 feet right up to the driver's side window, which was wide open. Zeke was in such shock that he didn't think to press the gas and leave. He threw his arms up to block his face. And his figure just reached in into the car with his hands and tried to grab me, right? And right when I saw his hands wrapping around me, he uh, evaporated um, into thin air. So it, it looked really aggressive, though didn't seem friendly at all, but it, it seemed really angry that I was looking at it. And that shook me up for for a couple of weeks. I didn't talk about it till after like a year later because I thought people would think I was crazy because that was the most upfront and close uh, that I ever gotten to, to spirit. So what was this headless figure that Zeke encountered? I thought it was maybe somebody that had gotten into an accident. Um, in that particular area, right on that corner, there's a bar that caught fire and it catches fire <laughs> every five years. It's no longer there. They just stopped building it. But every five years, it would, it would catch fire. And um, I think one particular patch of five years, it caught fire and it killed a bunch of people. This was dating back like 15 years ago. So I'm wondering if it has anything to do with that. Because I, I never saw a, a spirit on the street like that. After hearing Zeke's story, it reminded me of the legend of Zach Ford, an urban legend I told in the very first episode of this podcast. In that story, Zach Ford was wasted one night when he passed out on the train tracks and was decapitated by a train. In the Philippines, there's also been numerous sightings of headless priests. And of course, the Dulahan in Ireland, of which the legend of Sleepy Hollow was based. Why do there seem to be so many headless ghosts? Well, taking into consideration the theory that consciousness continues for a few minutes after being beheaded, and that spirits become earthbound if they are unaware of their death, it makes sense that those who are decapitated would continue wandering the earth. So what did this particular headless ghost want from Zeke? I think he probably wanted help. I think when the ghost noticed that somebody could see it, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I should interact with this person, you know, because I, I believe spirits, they, some of them don't want to be seen and then some of them do. And I think this one did, but didn't know how to react. <laughs> but it, it felt like a bad spirit. I felt a lot of negativity for that whole week. Feeling very heavy after a spirit encounter is not unusual. When this particular spirit reached out to grab Zeke, it may have drained him of his energy. But Zeke was already in an unhealthy mental place before this encounter. 
It was around this time that paranormal experiences were happening frequently for him. No, I, I was kind of lost back then. So I, I think negative energy, you know, I was giving it off and I think things were attracted to it. Like the time when he was left alone in his apartment while his wife was out of town for a week. And I remember this, this one night I was watching, <laughs> I was watching La Bamba. I could watch that movie all the time. So I remember laying on the floor, you know, resting my head against the, the couch. And uh, I remember watching it and I drifted off. But during that time, I left all the lights on and I left the movie blasting on. And I guess I was pretty tired and I fell asleep. And uh, it was about four in the morning, like, like I, uh, my eyes, they just pop open, you know. And I'm wondering, oh man, did I just fall asleep? Um, and it, it dawned on me that all the lights were off. Everything was off. And I thought maybe there was a power outage or something. Because uh, I don't remember turning off the lights. I don't remember turning off anything. So I kind of like shift around, about to get up, but I see these small children that were sitting in front of the TV. A little boy and a little girl. So my legs were stretched out uh, right next to him because I was on the floor and laying my head against the couch, feet stretched out. And they're just sitting there and they're watching nothing. The TV's black, it's blank. And I get freaked out. So my body kind of like shakes, right? So the little boy turns around and he looks at me. He looks at me <laughs> with his little eyes. And again, these two small children, all I could see is the outline. You know, they were see-through, but I, I could tell their facial features. But the little girl didn't turn back. She didn't turn back. She was like, she was afraid. But the little boy looked right into my eyes. And the little girl just grabbed his hand, picked him up, and they, they both ran out the door. And I was in shock. I was I was freaked out, but I didn't know what to do. Zeke thought about leaving the apartment to head to his parents' home. But after thinking about what had happened, he felt that the children he saw were just as scared of him as he was of them. So maybe there was nothing to worry about. So I went back to sleep. I, I got up a little bit just to shift around and then I just laid back down on the floor, kind of forced myself to sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, everything was on. All the lights were on, the, the, the TV was on, you know, the DVD menu of La Bamba was on. I think I was, <laughs> it's going to sound stupid, I, I think I was actually in a different type of realm. Maybe I was a ghost in their world, you know, <laughs> and they saw me and I, I freaked them out because they didn't know how to react to me. Maybe Zeke somehow transported into another realm. But the fact that the little boy looked directly into his eyes might suggest something else. I've heard stories where, you know, if a spirit looks you directly in the eye, that's a bad sign. Because usually spirits, they, they, they try to avoid all that unless it's a, it's a demon. But I doubt there'd be any type of demon children. Well, I would hope not. You know, I haven't heard of any. Nefarious entities are actually notorious for impersonating little children to trick you into thinking that they are harmless. Which makes me wonder, what exactly was in Zeke's apartment? Nowadays, Zeke doesn't have these experiences quite as often, and he believes it's because he's in a much better mental state now. This is a really important link that not enough people make. Negative entities seek out those who are stressed, irritable, angry. So if you're able to, protect yourself with supportive friends and family. 
Seek out a therapist. Find the source of what's bringing you down and take active steps to get out of that state of mind as best you can. Zeke was a perfect target, not only because of his mental health, but because of what he had inherited. I believe I inherited that gift from my mother and she wasn't afraid of it, but she believes that, <laughs> she believes we shouldn't talk about it. But she believes that it gives the spirits a little bit more power because you acknowledge that they're there, you give them more energy. So you're giving, you're, you're wasting your energy and they kind of drain that from you. As someone who does nothing but talk about spirits, maybe I should be more careful. Check out Zeke's band, Frantic Romantic. Links are in the show notes and at storieswithsapphire.com. Thank you for joining me today. This will be the last episode of Season 3 for now. I'm hoping to pick the show back up in a couple of weeks once my schedule dies down a bit. So thank you for your patience and support. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks, like live watch parties or private tarot readings. If you'd like to submit a story, email me at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and happy Halloween. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Special thanks to Hero, Jackknife, and Z. Music written by Sapphire Sindalo. For more information on this episode and my guest, visit storieswithsapphire.com.